This episode talks about sexual abuse and mentions suicide. If those are hard topics for you, take care when listening to this episode, or maybe skip it altogether. If you or someone you know is struggling with sexual assault, you can visit rain.org or call 1-800-656-HOPE. You could reach the National Suicide Hotline in the U.S. by calling or texting 988. This is Love Hurts. I'm Brian Berlin. Today's guest is Nestor Gomez. Nestor is a storyteller living in Chicago. When he was young, Nestor had an experience that made him go quiet and develop a stutter. He shares about how he was able to get his voice back and learn to love himself in the process. Hey, Nestor, how's it going? It's going just fine. Yeah, it's nice to see you after a few years of, yeah, not not seeing you in person at all. So uh, it's it's good to get to catch up and uh, have you on this. Yeah, it's been a while, but we're here. We survive, you know. We're here. We're making it through the day. And um, yeah, I'm really excited to have you on to share. Uh, what did you want to talk about today? Well, I want to share a story. And if you don't mind, I could just jump right into it. Yeah, that sounds good. Before I leave the house every day, I look at myself in the mirror and I tell myself, you're beautiful. You are beautiful. God damn, you're beautiful. <laughs> the first time that I ever heard somebody call me beautiful, I was about eight years old. I was playing dress up with my sister. She was wrapping a towel around my body to form a dress. She took a few steps back. She looked at me and she said, you are beautiful. In the moment, my father got, got into the room and he was upset. Men are not supposed to be beautiful. Men are supposed to be manly. My father said, as he took the towel, a junket out of my body. He didn't give me any time to explain that the reason I was playing dress up with my sister is because I wanted her to play soccer with me. But being my older sister, she had told me that she was only going to play soccer if I agreed to play dress up with her. <laughs> but my father didn't give me any time to explain to him. He didn't explain me why he was so upset. You see, silence, not talking about things was the way that my father and my family dealt with things. As I was living in Guatemala, we also um, raised bunnies in the house. And we used these bunnies as an extra income and sometimes extra lunch when we didn't have things to eat. <laughs> my mom, my mom uh, grew up in Italy and she was telling me how they had bunnies in, uh, like in their house and she had befriended a bunny, and then like that night they had the bunny for dinner, and then she couldn't befriend any of the bunnies anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so 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 we raised bunnies at the house, and because it was a way to make extra money, we didn't going out to the you know to the market to buy food for the bunnies. Then it wouldn't make any sense. Yeah, what we did is that we went to the nearby farms. My mother was send me and my uncle to the nearby farms to cut grass. To feed the bunnies. And 
my father didn't have time for me. You know, my father was always busy with his friends, playing soccer, doing his mainly things. He really didn't have a lot of time for me. So I grew very close to my uncle, who was only a couple of years older than me. My uncle was the person that taught me how to play marbles. He taught me how to do origami figures. He taught me a lot of things that my father never was around to teach me. I love my uncle. So one day when my mother sent me and my uncle to cut grass at a nearby farm, and my uncle asked me a favor, I didn't want to upset my uncle. I didn't want to break that relationship that I had with my uncle. He was the person that I look up to. He was the person that I was closest to. But when he asked me to take off my pants, lay down on the ground so he could get on top of me, I didn't know any better at that age. And I didn't want to upset my uncle. So I left him. A couple of days later, my mother sent me and my uncle back to the farm to cut grass for the bunnies again. And of course, we were taking too long because my uncle was asking me favors that I didn't know any better about. So she sent my sister to check to see why we were taking so long. What are you guys doing? My sister said when she saw my uncle naked on top of me. She ran back to tell my mother. After the day, my mother didn't let me and my uncle alone anymore. And she didn't send me and my uncle to the farm to cut grass anymore. She was send my uncle, but she was all she was send me separately. But she wouldn't let me and my uncle close together again. But my mother never explained me what happened. She never sat down with me to talk about what happened that day. You see, silence was the way that my mother and my family dealt with things. Yeah, that's such a tough, oh, man, that's so tough. And then, and you said you're, is this around the time, the same, you're around eight at this point too? Would you, yeah, or, eight, or ten, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so you're still young. You're young where you don't know exactly what's happening, but you just know like this wasn't good and, and, and nobody's actually helping me through yeah i was i was very ignorant about those things you know i was like in high school and all my friends were talking about uh periods and women's and everything i was like what is a period what, what is that what is this i had no idea it's not like today that kids have internet you know because i'm among I'm I'm old guys so when i was growing up there was no internet there was no google there was no cell phones there was the library you know but it was a different time back then yeah and then it seems like also the way your parents the house that your parents had created was not like a ask questions that it was kind of like a you're just kind of supposed to be fitting in this mold that you're supposed to be and that's what you're and that's the life you live kind of thing a, a, a little bit it seems like that setup yeah and, and it's very difficult for parents to sit down and talk about you know the bees and the honeys and the birds and everything you know so we never had that the discussion i never had that conversation with them and when those things were going on when that abuse was taking place uh i, I never had a proper explanation of what was going on yeah yeah so you're like left with just being like this weird thing happened and i don't know what it I, it's not great but there's nobody to really talk to it about yeah and let's not talk about it and let's pretend yeah. it never happened basically so silence yeah. silence basically and silence was also the way that i communicated or the way that I did not communicate because I developed a speech impediment. I started really badly whenever I had to talk in front of the class at school 
I couldn't bring myself to talk. I would just make funny noises and funny faces and I couldn't talk. So one of the teachers that was fond of me called my parents for a teacher's parents' conference one day. Your kid needs some kind of therapy. The teacher told my parents as they sat as they sat for the conference. Therapy, my father said. Therapy is for crazy people or for rich people that can't afford to go to therapy. And as he said this, he got up and stormed out of the room. The following day at school, the teacher called me after class and she told me that uh, she had a friend that was a speech therapy and she had kind of like talked about my case to the speech therapist. And the therapist had mentioned that if I, I could do some exercises to help me get over my stuttering. One of those exercises was for me to talk in front of a mirror so I could get used to seeing myself talk, to hearing myself talk. And she told me to do that. So I went home and for a couple of days I practiced speaking in front of, of a mirror. But to be honest, I only did that for a couple of days because I hated, I hated to see myself looking at the mirror, making stupid faces and making stupid noises. I hated myself. Yeah. So at that point, it feels like there's just, you have a lot of shame, maybe from like this abuse and, and kind of like where you are in this point in your life. And you just like, don't know how to deal with it. Yes. I, I didn't know how to deal with it. And we didn't have the the income, you know, we didn't have the yeah. the, the, the money in, in Guatemala. At this time we were, we were really poor. And if you had to choose between sending your kid to to, to a therapist or to a speech therapy and putting food on the table, or you're gonna choose food on the table for the yeah. family. Yeah. So um as I grew older, I never went to therapy. As I uh, you know, I, I came to this country undocumented. My family immigrated to Chicago and I came to this country undocumented. So again, I didn't have the money. I didn't have the resources to go to look for speech therapy to to do to do any of that. So for many years, I never, never, never went to therapy. I dealt with the problems by not talking about problems again by silence, by keeping silence about things, and that didn't help. That didn't make things easy on me. Um, that caused many problems with my first marriage, which ended in divorce. With my second marriage, which ended in divorce. So I didn't go to therapy for many years, even though I had to go to therapy. In fact, I didn't go to therapy until after my second divorce and after my third or maybe fourth attempt at killing myself. I remember walking into the therapist's office and the therapist asked me, so how do you feel today? I don't know about you, but when you're feeling like crap and somebody asks you how you're feeling, it kind of makes you feel worse. Yeah. If you're feeling like you're about to cry and you don't want to cry and somebody asks you how you're feeling. It makes you like you really want to cry and you either start crying or you react to that. And I reacted. I reacted the same way that my father used to react. I reacted with anger. I remember looking at the therapist and saying to her, you know what? I don't need therapy. Therapy is for crazy people and for rich people that can't afford it. I wanted to grab the desk and just throw it across the room and smash it. I started to walk out of the room 
and the therapist look at me and say, before you go, do me just one favor. Look across the room and tell me what you see. And I was still mad, but I turned, I turned to, to, to face the wall that she was asking me to face, and I froze. I froze because there was a mirror, and I hated what I saw. I hated myself. It actually took many, many sessions of therapy because I didn't, I didn't leave the, the office the day I decided to stay for therapy. I took many sessions of therapy for me to come to terms to what had happened in my childhood. It took many sessions of therapy for me to understand that what had happened to me was not my fault. That I was just looking for love and I had been taken advantage of. It took many sessions of therapy for me to understand that love, love is not how you see or how you hear or how other people feel about you. Love is not about how other people see you, how other people hear you, how other people feel about you. Love is how you hear, how you feel about yourself. Love is about loving yourself. It took many sessions of therapy for me not to hate myself. So now, every day before I leave the house, I look at myself in the mirror and I repeat the mantra, those words that have become my mantra every day. You are beautiful. You are beautiful. God damn, you are beautiful. Yeah, I mean, that's such a, man, what a, what a hard journey to have to, you know, go through alone for so much of that. Like, as you mentioned, it would, it felt like you, you had had people close to you in your life through this time that it just felt like you weren't able to fully connect with or be with in a way that like, because you were just always struggling internally uh, with your own, yeah, your own like self-worth and putting that on, you know, putting a lot of pressure on yourself to, yeah, just like get through the world when you had this thing that happened to you that you didn't get a chance to talk to anybody about. Yeah, silence. So like like I say, silence was the way that my family dealt with this, and silence was the way that I dealt with this. Not only because I couldn't speak due to my stuttering, but because I couldn't bring myself to talk about the things that had haunted me, that had hurt me. And I thought during certain times in my life, like I I come I I talked to my wife about what happened to me in my childhood, but I had a lot of anger and resentment. And they say that hurt people, hurt people. And I'm not gonna use that as an excuse, but I wasn't the best man. You know, when, when I was younger, I, I made a lot of mistakes. I had a lot of anger. I did a lot of things that now I look back and I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have acted that way. And there are things that I'm I'm still to this day, I'm ashamed of that the way that I reacted, the way that I that I behave. But it was, again, because of all this anger, all this frustration, all this emotion that I had inside me that I couldn't bring myself to talk about it. Yeah. I mean, that's hard. Yeah, it's hard. It's just it's this thing that is living with you. But again, like, as you said, the silence, you're not you can't say anything, even when it's probably like a thing that you're not actively thinking about how it's affecting. Yeah, the relationships around you. It's there is it's it's there. And I know you mentioned, too, that like when you had the stutter that developed shortly after when you were still a kid, like did that how did that stutter was that stutter around like for a long time too or how did that how how did that like develop in 
And yeah, my, my, my stutter came with me to the United States. And uh, I, in Guatemala, I had started to get over the stuttering a little bit, or at least control it a little bit. Uh, there were a lot of things that I used to control my stutter. Like if I got stuck at a word like house, I wouldn't say house. I would say the place where I live. You know, I, I, I went around. I still stuttered a little bit at times. You could hear in this conversation, there are times where I repeat a word really fast. So there are, there are I still find myself stuttering from time to time. But if I'm going to say a word, I just... Either I say the meaning of the word or I just skip the word and I say something else. Um, so I still stuttered a little bit, but I, I have got it under control. But for many years, when I came to this country, also because of the, having to learn a new language, having a new culture, being undocumented, I, my stuttering came back like with a bengish and I became a bilingual stutterer. So now I could stutter in English and Spanish <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't speak any of them properly. Uh, and it took many years. It was actually forcing myself to talk because I got married and I had a family to, you know, I had to work for a family. So when you have a family and you have to pay bills and you're the only one working, you just have to do. So basically just forcing myself to talk and forcing myself to talk. Yeah. So it seems like you were finding, you were like almost finding these ways to help yourself, but you were having to do it all on your own again. Like it wasn't, you weren't, getting like as you had that one thing with that the one meeting with that speech therapist and everything else you were kind of having to figure it out alone without having anybody to talk with it about yeah when when we don't have the resources you know the financial resources to deal with the problems that's a um there's a lot of stigma about you know why people do this and why people do that why people can't help themselves when you don't have the resources that are available to other people it, it, the problems that you have become even bigger and take longer to to get fixed. Yeah, yeah. Because I started, I used to write a lot of things. I used to write poetry. I used to write all my feelings down because I couldn't communicate properly. So writing became my way to communicate. So for many years, I wrote poetry. I wrote stories. I wrote so many things that I kept to myself for years, for years. And it wasn't until about eight years ago that I started to share those stories, you know, on uh, at the story slams, at the open mics. And it became like a way for me, like like and like all these things and all these emotions and all these uh, things that happened in my childhood. Like it was, it was my storytelling became a way for me to express all these things that I had years not being able to express. Yeah, so it's it's also that element too, where like you were saying how like writing things down was kind of, I guess, also that idea of silence, right? And like I can't say this stuff out loud, so I got to put it somewhere. And yes. And so was that like transition from the writing to the actually going and saying, like, do you remember the first time you went on stage to like say one of these stories that you would only ever put in writing and like what that felt like? Yeah. The, the idea of, of telling stories wasn't like, oh, you know, I have all this writing that I had done. And I'm going to become a storyteller. The idea was like, I could never talk in front of people. I have this fear of public speaking. Let me get over it. And I have this crazy way to deal with this too, because, because I was afraid of heights. So I got on an airplane and I jumped out of the airplane. <laughs> and I used to be afraid of the dark. So I, I, I locked myself in my washroom. I turned off the lights in the house and I forced myself to stay there for like three hours. Uh, I'm still a little bit afraid of the dark, but I'm not like as afraid of the dark as I used to be. So I figured if I'm afraid of public speaking, let me throw myself at an at a, at a open mic with a front of, front of hundreds of people and I'll get over it. And that's what I did, and, you know, but it was something that I wanted to do. It was, it was going to be one of the items on my bucket list. You know, I'm getting rid of these fears. I'm, I, I can't carry these fears anymore. The fear of the darkness, 
the uh, the fear of public speaking, you know, um, the fear of heights. I had to get over these fears. So it it, it was it was a year that I that, that I proposed by somehow get rid of all these fears. It took me longer than a year, <laughs> but uh, I, I I was finding ways to get to deal with all my fears, and it was one of the ways that like I'm I'm gonna get over my fear of public speaking by going to an open mic and talk. Uh, so I did that, and I did I did well on the slam, and I just like realized that I that I had a lot of things to share and a lot of things to say, and I just kept doing storytelling, and it had become like a, a, it has taken over my life in a, in a very meaningful and good way. Yeah, and and so when you first started telling stories on stage, like. Had that had that had had you hit the point where you had like gone and saw the therapist yet? Uh, yeah, because I my therapist I saw my therapist on my second divorce, and I was already dating that who was going to be my third wife at the time, so I was already going to therapy. Uh, so basically, therapy was really this turn that started to like put your life in the direction where it is today. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. It's like yeah, it's like it's you know I'm a Latino guy, so not only as a man but also as a Latino person. Uh, we are very like no 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 when it comes to ter- to therapy you know I, I guess that's that's why my father reacted that way when we when we just talk about peace therapy it's like therapy is only for crazy people or like we're poor and we cannot afford that but therapy does help a lot a lot like I should have gone to therapy a lot earlier in my life but again I was I was afraid of it I was uh, I was raised in silence and I couldn't afford it so when I finally went to therapy it did help a lot. Yeah, I found I also like didn't go to therapy until like later in life. And it was there was a little bit like similar to you. There was a stigma that I feel like was a little bit brought on by my parents, but also like my the society around me. Mm-hmm. Like and I grew up in America versus Guatemala. But like that, it was still there. Like I like I remember when I first told my mom I was seeing a therapist when I was, you know, I was in my 20s, late 20s or whatever. And she she felt like ashamed by the fact that I like she had done something wrong yes. in her upbringing mm-hmm. of me that yeah. now this was something that I was doing. Right. Yeah. Like there's such a stigma. And that was even coming from my mom. Like, I think my dad had his, you know, that other ma- like similar masculine, like this is you're supposed to be stoic and this and that. Yeah. You're supposed but, to deal with your stuff. Don't talk to anybody about your feelings. You, you know, you know, we, we, we raised that way. The man, you have to keep everything to yourself. Don't show any weakness. Don't cry. Don't go to therapy because it's that weakness. Um, yeah. But I feel like I, and it seems like you're the same way, but it's like, I feel like I'm much better able to like understand my emotions and talk about them now yes, and kind yes. of understand me as a person now that I do see a therapist. Yes. What is it that you really want to say? Why are you feeling this way? <laughs> well, yeah, then there's those moments where they're like, you you don't realize that like something's been bugging you, but you're, you're, whatever's happening in your life is being affected by this thing that you don't even realize is being, yeah. like as you said, mm. like kind of your whole, how you got to where you got to was being affected by this thing that happened to you as a child in some, you know, small and sometimes and big at sometimes ways, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, those like kind of those invisible forces and how they affect your day-to-day life and just being able to say like, oh yeah, this putting some kind of concrete like connection to those moments in therapy is, I feel like always helpful for me. Yes, I agree. I agree. Yeah. When I think about storytelling and I don't know if you feel this way, but one of my, 
you know, I like telling a good story when I go up on stage and I like the audience clapping, reacting to a story. But to me, like my favorite part when I tell a story is if somebody comes up to me after and they say like, oh, something like that happened to me too. And it's it just feels nice that somebody else experienced this thing, yes, right? Yes, yes. Like yes. that no, is always my favorite thing at after I tell a story is that I it connected with somebody there. Yeah. And they and, felt that moment of not feeling alone. Yeah, and and, and and as you know, when when I told my first story at the mod, well, as you know, when you win when you win at the mod, they put you for a grand slam. So when I told my first story at the mod, I won. Which I wasn't expecting. I thought <laughs> yeah. everybody was much better than me, and everybody had uh, was more professional than me, had more experience than me, and I, I wasn't expecting that I was going to win. So then they told me, "Oh, so you're gonna go to the Grand Slam?" And I was like, "Oh, uh, uh, no, not me." And they're like, "Yeah, you got to write a total new story." And I went home and I freak out because I'm like, "No, I have to do this again." And like, "Oh, I have to write a story." And I sat down and I remember I wrote down like five different stories. And one of the stories that I wrote was a version of the sexual assault that happened to me in my childhood. And again, this was something like I had already talked about this before and I had already expressed about, but I had never written a story about what happened, you know. So I wrote it and I remember, see, I, I, I still feel emotional about it because I remember writing about it and just starting to cry like nonstop. I couldn't stop crying for like five, ten minutes. And, and I showed it to my girlfriend, who's my wife now, and I told her, like, I had to tell this story. If if uh, if I had if I encountered the storytelling form that I di- I didn't even know it existed before before I started telling stories, so I wrote the I wrote the story and I said and I told her like I, I I wrote about this I had to talk about this because if I don't talk about this in, in a storytelling form I would never talk about it. And I remember uh, there was another slam and the team was uh, um, was uh, voodoo, oh no taboo taboo sorry taboo so things that you don't talk about. And I have written a story about what happened and how, like, uh, it, it, it's a different version of the story that I shared with you today. Yeah. But it basically talk about what happened and and keeping a secret from 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 everybody, from, from everybody and and coming to the United States and then uh, finding out that my that the person that did this to me gets killed in Guatemala and my mother had to travel back to Guatemala and I'm like. I feel I feel at this point in the story I in, the, in my life I have felt like I had killed him because for so many years I, I wanted bad things to happen to him. So that that's what the story was about. And I remember writing the story and crying and knowing that I had to talk about the story, break the silence again. Through story and, and I went to the slam and, and I told the story. And, and like you say, it is it's, it's not only um because it's a story that you want to share and that you think is going to be impactful for people, but also because I don't know who in the audience is dealing with the same thing, who in the audience has, uh, has something bad happened to them that they haven't talked about. In fact, I, I was at a show one day and I shared the story and there was a, a young lady that came out to me and said that her brother had just shared a similar experience with her and she didn't know about that experience with her brother and she wanted to know how she could deal with it because her brother... Uh, her brother was always, always like pushing away. So the only thing that I could tell her is like, love your brother, love your brother because he feels that he wasn't loved because somebody took advantage of him. He's afraid of love, and she's like, yeah, because she he never wants to 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 hang out with my kids, and he's always you know he always had to have somebody there to to watch, and he's like, yeah, because he doesn't want to be put in a position where anybody's gonna think he's doing the same thing that he was doing. 
So just let him know that you love him. Just let him know that you're there for him, that you love him. Don't don't force him to, you know, to talk about it. Don't force him like to, to, to deal with it. Just let him know that you love him because that's what he needs, love. Yeah, yeah. And I just, it's kind of, again, like, as you said before, like, it feels like a lot of these stories are that you have that fear of this is scary to tell on stage, but I have to do it because this is how I approach fear, right? Like, yeah. you you lean into that fear. Um. And I think as a result, you know, you've gotten to connect with a lot of great people over the years. And I'm glad to have gotten to connect with you through storytelling, too. So I think, you know, it's powerful that you're out here telling these stories that I'm sure are difficult for you to tell at times. But I really appreciate you sharing them. I'm do- I'm, I'm, I'm done with silence. Let's put it away. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I let well, silence deal with uh, uh, be a major influence in my life for too long. Yeah. So. Well. Thank you so much for sharing all this, Nestor. Um, if people, if do you have like stuff that you want to tell people about that you do or where they can find more of you or your stories or anything like that? Yes, uh, I have a website. It's called it's, uh, Storyteller.com. I always try to do, uh, I'm always doing too much. You know, I'm always trying to do, <laughs> to do doing events, doing, doing events here, doing events there. So I, I um, so. There's all the information about the events that I'm doing on my website. There's also videos if people want to hear more stories or, or listen to more stories, videos and audios of the stories that I have told, or many of them. And I also have a show about immigration stories, and we have a lot of videos about the show too. You you were one of the people that was on. on oh on yeah, I think yeah, I think there's yeah. a video of me on your yes. website of telling a story. Because yeah, because even even though it's an immigration story, it's about immigrants, refugees, descendants, and allies. So as yeah. long as it's an immigration story, we have we have space for people to share it there. Cool. Well, yeah, everyone should go and check that out because I think there's some great stories on your website. Um, And thank you so much again for sharing, Nestor. Thank you for having me. This is how we love. This is how we fight for something that's right. Love Hurts is produced, hosted, and edited by Brian Berlin. Theme music by Mickey Hommel. Show art by Caroline Mallon. You can find Love Hurts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend about it. You can find Love Hurts on Twitter and Instagram at lovehurtspod, and our website is lovehurtspod.com. I'm Brian Berlin, and this is Love Hurts. Love Hurts.